listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. Now, here's Green Biz Executive Editor, Joel McCower. William McDonough, architect, designer, and author, has long been known for his work in sustainability. His 2002 book, Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things, co-authored with chemist Michael Braungart, is a manifesto calling for the transformation of industry through green design. McDonough and Braungart subsequently created a cradle-to-cradle certification to identify products designed with what they call environmentally intelligent materials and processes. I caught up with Bill McDonough recently in advance of his keynote presentation at this year's Greener by Design Conference to talk about green product design, cradle-to-cradle thinking, and the role that Walmart may play in leading the charge. Bill, one of the things you talked about is the fact that recycling, or when we recycle, we're simply recycling a lot of the the problems that we've already created, and that and yet there's there's opportunities to take some of the products in the waste stream and turn them into less toxic products. Tell me about that. Well, if you if you look at the you know use of materials which are questionable, like PVC or or even PET in our water bottles that contains antimony as a residue from a catalytic reaction, we're, we're realizing these are suboptimal products in a cradle-to-cradle world that where we would want everything safe and healthy by design. So when we look at something like PVC, we say, well, why can't we park that somewhere until we figure out what to do with it? When we look at PET, we wonder why we can't bring it back and actually scrub out the antimony and put it back into the marketplace uh, refreshed and and clean. So we're essentially what we call upcycling it. When when we look at recycling, we see that typically things are either downcycled and they're losing quality in the process of being reused, or they're recycled and they come back in the same condition effectively, or we can upcycle things and they actually purify them and clean them up on their way back through the cycles. So we, we, we're excited about the prospect of upcycling plastics. Well, why not just create a, a whole new plastic altogether? Why go through all this? Well, I think in the, in the long run, we're going to need to take advantage of all the feedstocks that are out there and, and use them uh, effectively. I mean, otherwise, we'd find ourselves developing strategies to, say, burn the plastics that exist out there that are suboptimal. But when you go burn antimony, laden PET, what you get is antimony trioxide in the air, which is a known carcinogen. So is burning it going to be the solution? I don't think so. So, you know, what we really want to do is actually put these things back into useful cycles. And so we need transitions to the future. We won't be able to do this overnight. So how does that affect the product design process? Because you're talking about, in effect, designing with variations on existing materials that haven't, or that are just now being created. Well, it would, mean, it would mean that as you look at, for example, things in the plastics world, you would say you want antimony-free polyester if you're going to be using polyester, and it can, be, it can be had. So you would specify that. So the designers can actually specify these materials that we see as being the future materials in their, in their in optimized state. And so they can call for that kind of thing. And so at the beginning, we can call for... Um, Transitional products, or we can call for uh, uh, really optimized products as we as we do our designs. So, what drives that inside companies? I mean, you've got companies like Steelcase or Shaw that are that 
something internally is driving that. But but do you see that designers are starting to look for these solutions, or is it still for either they're not getting it or that they're not getting the demand from, from their clients for this new kind of thinking? I think the design, the design community is looking for uh, lists of materials. They're constantly calling us and asking us, can we get lists, uh, what we call the positive lists. And so uh, we're developing a strategy of how to release the kinds of lists that, that the designers are going to need. And we're looking at doing it through a, a, a kind of an open access venue. And we're studying all the different ways we can get that done now. But there's a lot of demand for, for from designers for optimized materials so they can be responsible with their work. So this is MBDC, McDonough Brown Guard Design Chemistry. Right. You're starting to create, does this bring it more open source, or what's the strategy here for I think for it'll you? be open access rather than open source. Open source, I think, the way I read it, means people can fiddle with the information and the data, and I think that's fine if you want to make your own lists and things like that. But um, for our list, I think it'll be more open access where we'll, we'll actually release what it is we've, we've cataloged and databased and, and just make it available publicly, uh, you know, under controls that respect people's right to secret information or, or uh, proprietary information and things like that. So there's all these new sort of design or at least materials um, protocols and, and materials categories, I guess, are coming out. And, and I'm wondering, where does it all come together? So, for example, there's biomimicry, there's green chemistry, there's cradle-to-cradle. First of all, is there much of an overlap among those? Uh, biomimicry is not a material. It's a, it's a discipline. Right. Uh, because because I, ultimately, if you're a designer, you want a whole toolkit to, yeah. to choose well, from. Yeah, well, I think all those tools are sympathetic. I mean, if you look at biomimicry, which is such a you know fabulous way to think about uh, approaching problems. It gives you an inspiration and it gives you uh, touch points and reference points and, and, and sort of miracles that you can, you can connect to, the miracles of the, of the world around us. Um, but, you know, you could be designing a product that, that is unsafe that looks like something that nature might have done in terms of its physical characteristics, in terms of its attributes and in uh, in the world. It's something that would walk on ceilings but drops bombs, you know. I mean, so a tool only has a value to, to based on the intention and the purpose to which it's put. So, so when we look at biomimicry, for example, I mean, it should be celebrated for all the joyful aspects of, of its... Uh, characterization of the world as an inspiration so that fits really beautifully when we look at um, other systems green chemistry it works perfectly with cradle to cradle because cradle to cradle incorporates green chemistry the cradle to cradle also incorporates this idea of biological and technical nutrition as as two distinctions for product development Uh, it includes renewable energy it includes clean water and it includes social fairness which may not be inherent in green chemistry per se so so I think they're all sympathetic with each other and they all fit together as a kit so uh, you know we encourage people to think in biomimicry terms we encourage them to think in green chemistry terms and we encourage them to think in cradle cradle terms simultaneously so I'm thinking in terms of um, being a designer, and I'm and I'm trying to understand sort of what the palette, what the toolkit is out there, and you know, and I've I've heard about cradle to cradle, I've heard about biomimicry, I've heard about green chemistry, mm-hmm. and and I've heard maybe even some other things that I don't clean technology or vague terms, and I don't really know what they mean. H- how do you sort of get to the point as a designer 
uh, product designer that you're um, sort of understanding what's possible. And is that, is that even the right question, or is it maybe you know from a toolkit perspective? Maybe do you do you start this with with sort of the intention, as you called it? Yeah, well, I see design as the first signal of human intention. So um, the question is, what do we intend as a species at this point in our history? And so the question we're asking when we start a design of a product is, how do we love all the children of all species for all time? So that's that's a question. Uh, in a sense, that's a that's a big biomimicry question too. Um, so the the uh, the next question we ask is is what is our goal? And our goal is a delightfully diverse, safe, healthy, and just world with clean air, soil, water, and power, economically, equitably, ecologically, and elegantly enjoyed. Period. And so uh, when we start a design project, we ask that first question about how do we love all the children. And then we put our goal forward, and then we ask the team to constantly use these as reference points while they do the work that's involved in the design. And so when we find something that's unsafe, we want to remove it and substitute something that we find that's safe. If we find something that's 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 renewably powered, we'll celebrate that. And uh, if we can make sure the water in the process is going to be clean uh, coming out of the system, uh, you know, that's better than... than sort of accepting the idea that it wouldn't be optimized, things like that. So I'm starting with the intention, and, and, and my intention is is not that different from yours, but I don't have the years of, of expertise and knowledge and, and access to the tools. So I'm trying to figure out how do I, what's out there and we've named some of them here, but where, where do I find all of that? That, that there, or how do I learn as a designer what the toolkit's like that will help me translate that intention into this product that my client, internal or external client, is asking me to do? Um, is that an appropriate question? It's is an that, appropriate question. Of course, it is. Um, it's not easy. There, I think, more and more. Uh, tools are coming together, I would guess within the next uh, two or three years, we'll see uh, a whole community of, of designers coming together to share their information. And, and when you look at some of the more sort of uh, broadly scaled uh, initiatives, like the Walmart initiative, for example, the scorecarding initiative, the scorecarding, and then an index, an indexing right. process that they're undertaking. Um, you know that'll be informed by a lot of people, and they're going to, from my understanding, make it available, you know, quite transparently because that makes sense. And it would have to be, you know, operated by by people that have credibility, and it'll have to be um, transparent for all to see. And I think as those kinds of index indices and and other lists of materials come out, people will have more and more access to tools. Mm-hmm. Rand Wadoops uh, from. Uh from Walmart will be speaking at Greener by Design. What we expect will be suit right after the release of, of the, the scorecard and the index. How much do you think that has the potential to change things? I mean, for example, will Walmart potentially be creating the default standard for what a product needs to be? In a certain context, I think they will be. I mean, just given their scale and the, uh, the power of the marketplace, I think they will have a de facto standard uh, there. I think that it'll have to be 
broadly enough base to have credibility beyond just Walmart. But uh, the fact that they're taking the initiative is is tremendous, and uh, the fact that they're seeking input from so many sources is tremendous. So um, I think it will become a de facto standard. Does that make you hopeful? It makes me hopeful given the the uh, level of the dialogue that they've engaged in this area. Um, I'm very uh, impressed by their willingness to to engage in the serious questions. I've had the um, opportunity to speak with them and uh, uh, was really really see what they're doing is uh, quite critical and quite important. So I guess to wrap up here, does that signal that there's probably going to be some changes in how we think about product design, manufacture, consumer use? Is this going to be a transformative moment perhaps in the, in product design? I think so because what's happening is that people are thinking and they're thinking about these issues and they're thinking deeply and they're thinking seriously and and they're thinking broadly. And so we have a real rich population of concern around these issues now from the design perspective. And so um, I think that it, an unthinking product is going to become something that will be looked at as a missed opportunity for some real good work. And I think that the more the information is made available and the more people have access to it, the less excuses they'll have to say that they didn't want to think about that or weren't able to. So um, I think it'll raise the bar for everyone. Great. Thanks so much, Bill. You're welcome. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.